All right, so if you're new, we are in the book of Habakkuk, and this is actually our, our sixth week in the book of Habakkuk. And the last two weeks, we've been, we've been going through God's response to Habakkuk. Um, you know, again, if you, if you haven't been through this book already, Habakkuk is essentially complaining to God um, about the state of his people and God's judgment on his people and then also their enemies. So this is like, like God's response is epic. If you read through it, it's really intense. He talks about, you know, how he's going to judge the Chaldeans, essentially Israel's um, enemies. And he ends off his response with this. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Like if you can imagine God sitting in his temple and then telling everyone like, I am the, the God of the universe. Let all the earth be in silence before me because my judgment is, is true and it's right and I'm sovereign and I'm, I'm the boss, I'm God. Like I think about that and I'm like, dang, right? <laughs> like, I, I think about like a parent and a child, right? You have a child who's like wilding out, going crazy, talking to you like, like crazy. And then, you know, the parent, in this case, my mom, my mom, all, all she would have to do is give me a look. And immediately I would know to like, all right, that's my mom. My mom's gonna, my mom's gonna handle me. And then I have to change my entire approach. It's like, you know what, mom, I'm so sorry. Like beautiful, amazing woman that you are. Here's my request, right? This is what I imagine as, I, as, as God is responding to Habakkuk. And now Habakkuk is in a place where he has to respond back to God. So what we're going to look at today is Habakkuk's response. So we're going to be in, in, in verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Today we, ask, we only have two verses today. So um, even those two verses, there's actually a lot of stuff to pull out of this. So if you have your paper or if you're online, there are resources there for you to follow along. And let's read this together so that we can see, you know, how, how, how do we approach God in times of suffering, in times of hardship, in times of trials? And we see from Habakkuk how we do that. So verses 1 and 2, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigernoth, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So we see a completely different approach from Habakkuk after God's response. So he's not, he's not complaining. He's not questioning God like he was doing before. His approach is it's like 180, right? His tone is different. He goes to God in prayer. And that the Shigianoff which I'm not going to get into. That's actually next week, so I'm not going to ruin that for you. But essentially, the Shigianoff is it's like a song of sorrow and praise. And we'll look into that next week. So um, what, what we want to focus on today is essentially his approach and his response. So <laughs> it's not my kid. Um, <laughs> God bless you, though. Um, <laughs> So this is, this is how he starts his response. Oh, Lord, I've heard the report of you. And I want to stop right there because I think this is something that we can gloss over. 
Can you just turn to your neighbor and say, did you know that you have part in the greatest legacy ever? Wow. I thought they served food this morning. <laughs> say that one more time. Like, you are part of the greatest legacy of all of history. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> right? What, what are you talking about? Like, you guys just did what I said, which is kind of funny. Uh, and you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But this is, what, this is what I mean, right? So all throughout the history of the people of God, so starting from Israel all the way through us, the church, God has commanded his people to remember him. Not only to remember him, but share in who he is and share with each other what he's done. So we see this at the Passover, right? This, right before God, uh, if you, you don't know what the Passover is, God is essentially, when Israel was in, in captivity in Egypt, he, he does 10 different plagues before he frees them. And the 10th plague is the Passover, where he would essentially kill all the firstborn of the Egyptians. But to the people of Israel, uh, of Israel he commanded them to put the, the blood of a lamb above their doorposts. And that anyone who had the blood of the lamb above their doorposts, essentially the, the spirit of God would not kill the firstborn in that household. So before he does that, he commands them to have a celebration every single year to remember what he's about to do. God also instructs the people of Israel to, as after, he gives his, uh, after he gives his law, to remember it, to talk about it, to share it. So... When, when Habakkuk is saying, Lord, I've heard of your report, what he's saying is that, God, I've heard of everything that you've done so far. I've heard of the stories of how you, you freed the people of Israel, how you've essentially fought our battles, how you have been our protector and provider. And again, that's, that's next week. I'm not going to get too much into that. But that's what he's referring to. I've heard the report of the Lord. And this is what he acknowledges before he goes to God in, in his prayer. Now, how does that connect to us? So we have the people of Israel getting the command of God to, re, to remember what he's done, remember who he is. Jesus comes into earth and he dies for our sin. He resurrects and then gives the church, which, which we are part of, the command to go and make disciples. Essentially go ahead and continue to share the report of who I am and what I've done. And the fact is, 2,000 years after Jesus has given that command, you and I are sitting here as a result of people who have obeyed that commandment. Like, if you look to the person next to you, you're only here outside of the grace of God because someone shared the report of who God is and what God has done in your life. So we are a part of this legacy. So you're connected to Habakkuk. You're connected to the people of Israel. You're connected to Abraham because we all share in this command of God to share about who he is and what he's done. Those people in your life could be, you know, parents, grandparents. It could be, you know, a neighbor of yours or a coworker, a friend of yours who shared about who God is and, and what God has done. And outside of the grace of God, this is why you're here. And the beautiful thing is that, you know, 20 years from now, 40 years from now, there will be people will be able to point back to you and say, I am where I am today because John shared with me about the goodness and, and the work of God. Or Stephanie did that, or, or Michael did that, or Aaron did that. 
we all share in this legacy. And again, I think it's easy to just really gloss over that sentence, but I feel like we should appreciate the fact that we are part of this legacy and that this legacy is going to continue on to eternity. So praise God for that. You can clap for that. <laughs> all right, you're a part of a legacy, right? We're part of something bigger and better. Now, it's important for us to understand and to continue this practice of remembering who, of who God is and what he's done, because when we do that, it helps us to view him correctly. And when we view him correctly, we're able to approach him correctly in times of need, in times of trial, in times of suffering. This is what Habakkuk does. So, who is the God that Habakkuk recognizes or views now that he's remembered what he's done? That this is a God that is, is amazing, right? This is a God that is great and, frankly, kind of scary. I, again, I'm not going to get into the reports of what God has done that Habakkuk is referencing because that's next week. But, I mean, if y'all want me to preach that sermon, I'll preach right now. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. You got to come back next week for that. But the God that Habakkuk is referencing is a God that is great and he is to be feared. And we see that all throughout scripture. So here's a couple examples. These are some of my favorite ones, right? In Exodus chapter 20, right, God is giving the people of Israel the law, the Ten Commandments. And God is actually speaking to them audibly. So they are essentially around the Mount Sinai. And as he's giving them the law, all, all you hear is thunder and lightning and trumpets blaring and the, and the mountain smoking. And the people beg Moses to have God to essentially stop speaking and have Moses speak to them directly because they're fearful of dying. All right? As you hear my voice right now, I'm sure you're not worried about dying because <laughs> my voice is not that powerful or, you know, amazing or great. But we're talking about just the voice of God creating enough fear in someone to feel like they're going to die. That's just God's voice. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses asks God to see his face. And, you know, that's, that, I think that's a good, a, a good request to ask of God. Like, God, I want to see you. And we sing songs about that all the time. It's like, God, I want to see your face and I want to be so close to you. And all that good stuff. <laughs> But the reality is that if God were to show you his face, as he tells Moses, you would die. You would evaporate, like, just like that. Because he's that great, he's that holy, he's that powerful. So what God does instead is he tells Moses, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide you somewhere. I'm going to put my hand over you. And what I'm going to allow you to see is just like my back, essentially, right? Like, you, you can't even see my face. If you see my face, you're going to die. You, you will not live. That's, that's terrifying to me, at least. Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 28, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's talking about God. Like that, that ought to create fear in us. But this is not the kind of fear that causes us to shrink away from God and hide and to never approach him. The kind of fear that we're talking about is, is better described as reverence, right? We understand, it's like the ocean, right? 
I love the ocean. I was, I was in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago. And we're talking about like crystal clear blue water. And I'm just in it. I'm like, oh my God, like, this is amazing. Living my best life. But I also have in the back of my mind the notion that in any second, a wave can just sweep me up and essentially end my life. Something so great, so vast, so beautiful that can also be so terrifying. That's, that's sort of how God is like. So, you know, that, that, that means, that doesn't mean like I stop going to the beach or stop going into the water. It just means that when I go to the water, when I go to the beach, like I'm mindful of the fact that, yeah, this is beautiful, this is great, I should enjoy this, but I also should approach this with caution, with reverence. I should respect the water. I should respect the waves. And that's the kind of fear, that's the kind of, that's what we're talking about here. And that's, that's what we're referring to. That's what Habakkuk is doing. Right? This is a God who is, who should be reverent, who should be feared in a healthy way. One of my favorite ways this is described is by C.S. Lewis. He, he, he wrote a ton, of, a ton of books. One of the books that he wrote was uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And he's talking about, in the book, he's talking about one of the main characters, Aslan, right? And one of the, the characters in the story is asking about Aslan. And Aslan, as described by C.S. Lewis, is a lion, right? He's the great lion. And the character, her name Susan, says, oh, I thought you'd be a man. Is he quite safe? That's my best uh, little girl voice. <laughs> <laughs> I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Right? Aslan is a personification of Christ. He is the king, and he's great, and in many ways he's, he's not safe because he's so powerful, but he's also very good. So this is, this is how, this is the first way we should view God. And we should approach him on that basis. Like, God, you are great, but you are also good. This is what Habakkuk appeals to about the nature of God in verse 2, where he says, In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. What he's doing here is he's appealing to the merciful nature of God. In our times of trouble or in our times of confusion or suffering, we are to go to God and we are to trust that he is good, that he is sovereign, he is just, and above all, he's merciful. God loves to save his people. When we go to him, when we cry out to him in these times, he loves that we come to him. He loves that we, we trust him and he invites us to do this. In Exodus 34, we see in verses 6 and 7, God is talking to Moses. And this is actually, this is after Moses' request to see his face. God says to him, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is how God introduces himself to Moses when Moses asks, I want to see your face. When you say, I want to see your face, like you want to know someone, right? If you want to get to know someone, you're face to face with them. And this is God's response. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. And I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the God that we approach in our times of suffering, in our times of hardship, in our times of trial. A God who is merciful, a God that we can rely on to be faithful, to hear us. And I mean, if I'm being honest, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to, to see that and to rec recognize that. Like, I, I get why Habakkuk has trouble at first approaching God and trusting God. Um, in 2019, actually 2018, in December, my father was diagnosed with cancer. And he, he died seven months after. That was probably the hardest thing I've ever been through. It was definitely like my first, like one of the first trials and suffering or times of suffering that I've been through. And if you don't know my father, he was a pastor. He served God literally all his life. Like that, that's, that's all he did. Like that's literally all he did. He got up, he prayed. He talked to people in Haiti because he was a pastor in Haiti. And that's, that was his life. Like he served God faithfully. And I'm, I'm grateful for his example. But when I got the news, being his health proxy, I was at every doctor's appointment. And I was like, God, why? Why would you do that? He served you all of his life. Why would you do that? Your word says, if you honor your father and your mother, you will have long life. Why would you do that? There are, there, there are millions of other men who, in my opinion, are lousy and who, are, who don't deserve to be alive right now. Somehow they are alive. Somehow they're thriving. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? What God didn't tell me was, actually, this is why. This is why, he, this is why he died. This is why I took him. He didn't give me an explanation why there are, in my opinion, what do I know, millions of other wicked people alive who still get to enjoy their families, who still get to live lives that don't honor God. He didn't give me an answer to that. What he did was point me to the cross every single time. Because you see, in the cross, we see a God who is sovereign. A God who knows that all of humanity will turn his back, will turn their back on him and his goodness. But still is powerful enough to create a plan to save them. 
a God who is powerful enough to come into humanity as a man, fully God, and live a life that we can't live, a life that's perfect, that's without sin. What God showed me is that he's a God who is right. He's always right, and everything he does is right. And he can be trusted to do what is right because a God that is holy and a God that is perfect and sinless cannot allow sin to be unpunished. He must deal with it. And so he does that by putting sin on himself and then dying in our place. He handles the sin of all of humanity forever. He can be trusted to do what is right every single time. And then finally, we see a God who is merciful. This is a God who saves us. And in the cross, we see that anyone who puts their faith, who puts their trust in this God will be saved. And even if you're not saved in this life, like the thief on the cross who asked Jesus to be with him in paradise. He still died. We're still saved ultimately because we will be with him forever and eternity. This is a God who is merciful. This is how we are to approach God in our time of suffering, in our times of hurt and trial when things are confusing. We look to a God who is sovereign, who can do all things, who has all power, who always does what's right, and he always saves. This morning, I have no idea what you're going through. I, I, don't, I don't know if you're suffering or if you're in, in a trial right now, but I, I want to encourage you to look at Habakkuk and look at his response. Look to the God that we know about because of his word and because of the report that we have been given all throughout history. This is a God that we can trust in. This is a God that we can hope in. As I close, I, I want to read from Romans 11, verses 33 to 36. All the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Father, from you are all things, through you are all things, and for you are all things. Even the trials that we go through are for you.
the pain that we go through, the confusion that we go through is for the glory of your name. It is for the good of ourselves, Lord, and the good of others. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged today wherever we are. We would be encouraged that our trials, our times of suffering are not for nothing, God. God, there will be people one year from now, five years from now, 40 years from now, who will be able to say that because of Michael's faithfulness, because of David's faithfulness, because of John's faithfulness, I'm here today. I've heard the report of the Lord. I know what you've done. I know what you can do. I know who you are, what you're like. And I know that in this present circumstance that I'm going through, that you are enough. That you will be there. That you are merciful. You will save. Because it's what you love to do, God. It's who you are. So God, as we worship you, as we remember through these songs, the work of your hand, your promise, your character, who you are, Help us to trust you. Help us to find confidence to approach you and not run away from you and not question you, Lord, but trust you. In Jesus' name.